You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Here's what Paul shares that the Lord said, verse 17, right in the middle, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I love Colossians 1, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of, get this, light. Have you ever been afraid of the dark? Maybe you were just as a kid, but you've grown out of it now. Maybe you were never afraid of the dark, but you still wouldn't walk down a dark alley in the middle of the night. Fearful things lurk in the dark, and because of that, the dark is a dangerous place to be. But Pastor Danny tells us today that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. We get to share in the light, which drives away evil and every fearful thing. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 24 with today's edition of The Living Word. Paul is in Jerusalem and some Jews from the province of Asia have stirred up the crowd accusing Paul of taking a fellow named Trophimus the Ephesian into an area at the temple where uncircumcised Gentiles like Trophimus are not allowed. So it's a breaking of Jewish law. It's a very serious thing. And um, they stir up the crowd accusing Paul, even though he had not done this, they accuse him of it. They are beating Paul, intending on killing him, and the only thing that saves him by the providence of God, providence of God uh, Roman soldiers show up. He's arrested. While he is in custody, some of these Jews plot to take his life. They go to the Jewish authorities and they say, we, we're not gonna eat again until Paul's dead. You tomorrow, ask him, ask the Romans to send him to you. You wanna get more information about his situation and uh, we'll make sure he doesn't get to you. We'll get him on the way. Well, somehow Paul's nephew knows and learns about this plot, goes and tells Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul says, go tell Lysias the commander, the Roman commander. And chapter 23 of Acts, it's fascinating what happens at this point. Verse 22 of chapter 23, the commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. And then he called two of his centurions and he ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers. 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. That's 470 elite Roman military men. To go to Caesarea at nine tonight, under the cover of darkness, provide horses for Paul, not just a horse, horses for Paul, so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Now, I know I mentioned this, I think a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was. Fascinating to me, though, how God, without violating 
man's free will. He orchestrates the lives of those who are called and committed to him, like Paul, to be in the center of his will. It was prophesied about Paul early on. This man is my chosen instrument, God said, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. The word kings is leaders. So it's not just a technical king of the Gentiles, leaders of the Gentiles and of the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. It was God's plan to give Paul a military escort to make sure he gets safely to the first of three powerful Gentile kings, leaders, that he will bear witness to Jesus Christ before in Acts 24, 25, and 26. My intention was to go through all three chapters, pulling out key verses, and do it in one message. God slowed me down. We'll just get chapter 24 today. What's happening here in Paul's life is Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If this happened in our day, in our culture, this is a powerful military escort, and Paul is riding either in a bulletproof limo like our president would ride in, or at the very least, a government-issued bulletproof SUV. That's how God does things. To get him safely before leaders of the Gentiles and work out God's perfect plan and will for Paul's life. Now, ultimately, every Christian, God has a singular purpose, ultimately, for our lives. You know what it is? Jesus said, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the ultimate purpose for our lives as believers, to be witnesses. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But in planning witnesses so that all people might be saved, sometimes the circumstances are uncomfortable. Sometimes it involves suffering like the Apostle Paul. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel went into a fiery furnace. But as a result of going into that fiery furnace, they became witnesses for God to the king Nebuchadnezzar, powerful king of ancient Babylon and to the people of Babylon. Their friend Daniel, years later as an aged saint, went into a lion's den. And as a result, Darius, the king of that day, wrote to all the peoples and said, everybody's got to revere the God of Daniel because nobody saves like his God. Second Timothy chapter 2 and beginning in verse 8, Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, good news, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the elect. That's a term for those who would say yes to the message of the gospel, repent, receive Christ, and be saved and forgiven, the elect. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Peter writes, 2 Peter 3, 9, then we'll read the text. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his second coming, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance and be saved. And that's why Paul is sent by God, 
by way of being chained like a criminal to stand before these rulers of the Gentiles. One more scripture in Acts, but jump ahead just briefly, Acts 26. Here's what Paul shares that the Lord said, verse 17, right in the middle, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I love Colossians 1, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of, get this, light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Uh, I don't know if you understand this, but if, if someone's not saved, they don't know Christ as Savior, they are in the kingdom of, kingdom of darkness. They're also under the power of the devil. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.26, so that they will come to their senses, escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. God wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to be forgiven, then why is it that Jesus said broad is the road that leads to destruction? Unfortunately, it's just a matter of fact. God's given us free choice. And as great as the offer of the gospel is, so many people say no to the witness that God puts in their life. Acts chapter 24, Paul arrives in Caesarea. Verse one, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. He starts out this way. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Pause. That's a suck up. And you'll know before we're done why it's a suck up. Because Felix was anything, one, anything but a ruler that brought about uh, peaceful reforms. It's a suck up. Verse three, everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge that this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I'd request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, Jesus, the Nazarene. And even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we're bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Notice Paul, he's just saying, I acknowledge your authority. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, those who follow Jesus, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. 
I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, notice, who was well acquainted with the way. He's acquainted with Jesus and his followers. He adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case. Lysias, the commander that, gave, that arrested Paul. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom, permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ, Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Pause. It's a strong Greek word. As a matter of fact, one translation says Felix trembled. It's the same word used for the response from the women who came to the empty tomb of Jesus and they're confronted by two angels and they were frightened. It's the same word used for when Jesus, in his resurrected state, walked through the walls and greeted his disciples and he scared the living daylights out of them. Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I can't find it convenient, I'll send for you. Now, I've, unfortunately, you can't do that with me today. You can shut your ears, but not my mouth. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Remember that statement. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison, a politician to the end. There are two sides to the message. One is the challenge of being willing for God to orchestrate the events of our lives to put us in places where we can be a witness for Jesus Christ. And sometimes they're uncomfortable and sometimes there's real suffering involved. And the other challenge with that, with that is when we are before someone and there is an open door, will we say what God wants us to say, no matter what the cost? Now, the flip side of the message is very clear, and that is the response of those that we have the privilege of witnessing for Jesus Christ before, their response. That's the message. What we don't have is an audio tape of Paul's message what we don't have are detailed notes. All we know is he spoke about faith in Christ and that coupled with talking about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And even though we don't have an audio, and even though I don't have detailed notes, from the scriptures and from Paul's writings, I can make some pretty good suggestions as to some of the things that Paul said. I wonder if he didn't quote the Ten Commandments. If he did not quote them, I think it's likely he pulled from them. 
Because he writes in Romans chapter three, verse 20, from the law, and the heart of the law is the 10 commandments, we are conscious of sin. And the law is intended to lead us to Christ because we're convicted of our sin and we know the only way now to be forgiven and saved is to receive Christ. And so the conviction has to come first. Thou shalt not steal. We know from history, Felix did. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And we know from history, Felix did. Thou shalt not murder. And we know from historical record, Felix did. And he got away with it because his brother had an end with Nero and went to his defense. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And we know Felix did. Or his house, or his donkey, or his Ferrari, or whatever else it is. It's interesting our government, most of the leaders anyway right now, they don't want the Ten Commandments displayed publicly. Don't get me off on that one. John the Baptist stood before another powerful Roman king, Herod, and he said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. You're breaking God's law. And it was intended to bring conviction to Herod so that he might repent and be saved and be forgiven of his sin. And then he talked about self-control. Fascinating few verses in Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two, verses 11 to 14. And right in the heart of it, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared to all men. And it, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright lives before God. That's an interesting verse. If it's appeared to all men, that means before the New Testament, it means before the Old Testament, it's appeared to all men. That's what it says. And the best I can gather, I go to places like the story of Joseph, sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. He's owned by a guy named Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, uh, because Joseph is a good-looking dude. He's trying to seduce him repeatedly. And Joseph is repeatedly resisting. He's a long way from home. Look how he's been treated. He's 17 years old. And a dude like that is resisting? Wow. A lot of guys, would they want that situation. And he resisted. He said, how could I do this thing and sin against God? You see, the self-controlled life, it's not a perfect life, but self-control is an evidence that I have a relationship with God and I want to do what's right. And I want to resist doing what's wrong. That's why Paul said before Felix, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And Felix's conscience is not clear. And then he talked about the judgment to come. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. Ecclesiastes 3, 11, God has put within every human being a knowledge, a knowledge, Ecclesiastes 3, 11, he has set eternity in the heart of man. Every human being knows that when we die, it's not the end. In reality, it's really just the beginning because we're going to live on forever and ever and ever somewhere. And whether you believe it or not or accept it or not, the Bible gives two choices. One is in an eternal glory with Jesus Christ because you've received him as Lord and Savior. And the other is eternal damnation, separated from God and an eternal torment forever and ever and ever. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews says it's a 
fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God gave John, the apostle on the island of Patmos, a revelation of this coming judgment. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Here's what he writes. And I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. That's interesting. God's keeping records. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Another scripture calls it the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And only those who put their faith in him have the record of all our sin blotted out. What an amazing thing, isn't it? That when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, at that moment, every sin that God's keeping a record of blotted out. And Colossians, Paul writes, it's not just our past sins. He forgave us all our sins. We learned it in Christian college. I never forgot. I never forgot. I remember the first time I heard it. Never heard it. Justified. You've justified. And the, and the professor said, just as if you'd never sinned. I never forgot that. That's good stuff. Just as if you'd never sinned. That's the only way to get to heaven. Because sin can't go into heaven. And so you get, you get your record, record cleansed, though your, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. But you have to respond correctly to the truth. I'm just going to read you this section of my notes. It takes courage to speak truth. It takes courage. But truth is the only thing that will really help anyone. And then I put this. God is not seeker-sensitive, he is truth sensitive. Show me an example in the Bible where God sent, sent a witness. Old Testament, New Testament, wherever. And they didn't just speak the truth. He didn't say, no, take it easy. You know, you might offend them. We're not to do it arrogantly. We're not to do it self-righteously. But we are to do it boldly and clearly. Otherwise, otherwise how, how are they going to repent? But sometimes when you speak the truth, Boy, the looks you get, the comments you get. Hosea writes, the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, the prophet is considered a fool. The inspired person, a maniac. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that. I, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I can, I can, I can a little bit relate to that. Some of you know the story. A few years ago, I was shopping. I was by myself. I like to shop by myself because I like it to be short, quick, and just get it done. I'm in International Mall. It's a Monday, my day off. There are certain times of the year you can go there and you get shirts like this that normally are very expensive. You can get them for dirt cheap. Lady, young lady sales agent was helping me. It was not busy, so she had plenty of time to help me. You know, I'm asking, because my wife's not there, do you, do you th what do you think about this one, you know? And she said, nah, not that one. Well, what do you think about this one? And we got in a conversation, and in the conversation, I wasn't looking to share Christ with her. I wasn't looking to share anything with her. I was just looking to buy some shirts. 
And all of a sudden, got in a conversation. She's talking about her boyfriend and how they're, they're living together. And I, you know, said, Lord, I'm not looking for an opportunity, but it seems like an opportunity. been listening to another edition of The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Thanks for joining us. Have you been enjoying this study in the book of Acts? If so, Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, and we hope that you'll tune in to hear about it. Acts is a powerful book full of incredible things that God did in the early church. Isn't it amazing how he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? With that in mind, open your heart up to the call that God has on your life. He's gifted you with incredible things that can impact his kingdom in mighty ways. If God can use Paul, he can use you too. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series in the book of Acts, visit ccfstpete.church. Once you're there, click on the media tab and you'll be able to find an archive of past teachings. If you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you. Visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturdays at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, no worries. We offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. We're glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we hope that you'll continue to desire and search out and study the living word.